Thank you for listening to the Christ the King Church podcast. We exist to help people know, love, and obey Jesus as Lord over all of life. For more information about our church, please visit us at ctksensi.com. So good morning. Uh, my name is Jason. I'm one of the pastors here. Um, I get to preach every couple months, and every time I do, I feel like a similar sort of mix of emotions. Um, today, in particular, uh, just feeling that, I, that I'm coming to this place uh, to proclaim God's word in my own uh, weakness and needing to hear this message uh, so much. And so um, we are currently studying the gospel according to Luke. Um, and I think that this passage that we come to today comes at just the right time. I know, so it did for me, and I, and I think it will for many of you as well. And so today what we're going to see is a man who has professed that Jesus is the Messiah. And not only that, we see a man who was the first to proclaim the gospel. Before anyone else knew it, John was the one who raised his voice and he pointed at Jesus and he said, look, look there, look at him. That is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And not only did he see that before anybody else was saying that, he was the one who baptized Jesus. And when he had baptized Jesus, this man saw the sky open, the Holy Spirit descend like a dove upon Jesus, and he heard a voice from heaven say this about Jesus, this is my son whom I love, with him I am well pleased. And so today, as we're going to see this man who experienced all this, all these wonderful things, and the one who's been proclaiming the good news from the very beginning is going to begin to doubt his former confession. And I think we need to hear about John's doubt today because there is a great enemy of God who is right now like a lion prowling around seeking people to devour. And in our day, there are people who, like John, formally proclaim that Jesus is Lord, and they're rejecting that confession. And there are people who taught the gospel, and maybe even some of us who are looking at people who taught us the good news of Jesus, who are not just doubting it, but who are walking away from the truth and embracing a lie. And so I can guess that many of you know people who've walked away from Christ. Some of you may know people who haven't just walked away from Christ, but have then turned and began to attack the church and the gospel. And so... I want you to hear this, brothers and sisters, all of us in this room, not one of us is free from this temptation as well. And so John, who experienced all these things, felt the pull to look somewhere else besides Jesus. So when Jesus wasn't the king that John expected him to be, he felt the pull to look somewhere else. And I, I confess that I feel that pull sometimes too. And I wonder if anyone would agree with me that maybe you feel that pull. And I think, you know, it's just, it's just us here. Do you feel, does anybody feel this? Like, is Jesus what I need? Hands raised? I don't know. <laughs> con, con, confession? And encourage those others who may be doubting this morning? So as we come to this passage, there's one thing that I want you to hear from this passage. And that is this. Jesus is the one we've been waiting for. He is the one who has come. So when we suffer, Jesus is the one we're waiting for. 
When gas is $5 a gallon, Jesus is the one we're waiting for. And when Christian leaders are exposed as predators or when they abandon the church, when the world around us embraces wickedness and we feel like it's starting to look like the days of Noah as we look outside our door, there is no other but Jesus who we are waiting for. That was like an amen pause. There is no other we are waiting for. Amen. So let's read this passage together. Um, This is Luke 7. We're going to start with verse 18. This is is the whole section we're going to be looking at today. I'm going to read all of it. John's disciples told him about all these things. Calling two of them, he sent them to the Lord to ask, Are you the one who is to come, or should we expect someone else? When the men came to Jesus, they said, John the Baptist sent us to ask, sent us to you to ask, are you the one who is to come or should we expect someone else? At that very time, Jesus cured many who had diseases, sickness, and evil spirits and gave sight to many who were blind. So he replied to the messengers, go back and report to John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is proclaimed to the poor. Blessed is anyone who does not stumble on account of me. After John's messengers left, Jesus began to speak to the crowd about John. What did you go out to the wilderness to see? A reed swayed by the wind? If not, what did you go out to see? A man dressed in fine clothes? No, those who wear expensive clothes and indulge in luxury are in palaces. But what did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet. This is the one about whom it is written, I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare the way before you. I tell you, among those born of women, there is no one greater than John, yet the one who is least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. All the people, even the tax collectors, when they heard Jesus' words, acknowledged that God's way was right because they had been baptized by John. But the Pharisees and the experts in the law rejected God's purpose for themselves because they had not been baptized by John. Jesus went on to say, To what then shall I compare the people of this generation? What are they like? They're like children sitting in the marketplace and calling out to each other. We played the pipe for you and you did not dance. We sang a dirge and you did not cry. For John the Baptist came neither eating bread nor drinking wine, and you say, he has a demon. The Son of Man came eating and drinking, and you say, here is a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. But wisdom is proved right by all her children. So maybe you remember, if you were here last Advent, when we began this series in Luke, we learned about the birth of John He was born to Elizabeth and Zechariah, and his birth had all the marks of the hand of God at work. It had an old woman who who couldn't conceive children, an angelic announcement of his birth. And we saw that back then, what we see again in this passage, John is the one Micah prophesied about, that he would be the one to prepare the way for the coming Messiah. And if we can remember back then, we learned that that John then went into the wilderness and that he preached a message of repentance and that we saw Jews from all walks of life coming to be baptized by John. 
And then finally, we also saw that he baptized Jesus. And after baptizing Jesus, John said, we read this in John 3, verse 30, he must become greater, I must become less. And from that moment on, things sort of go silent for uh, John. We know, what, we know what's going on from the book of Mark, but he has been becoming less, and Jesus has been becoming greater. We know that between baptizing Jesus and then this text today, John has been arrested. He criticized Herod. Herod married his brother's wife. John thought this was not the right thing to do, so he criticized him. Herod imprisoned John. So if we could imagine John sitting in prison where he will remain until he is beheaded, and then we come to this text. So with all of that sort of stored up in our minds, let's read again. So the first thing we read in this passage is that John's disciples told him about all these things. So we have to stop. What are these things? What is, what is it that John's disciples told him? So just before this passage, if we back up a couple paragraphs, we read about Jesus healing the servant of a centurion. We read about Jesus raising to life the dead son of a widowed woman. And then in response to all this, we read uh, the crowd's reactions. So this is Luke 7, 16 and 17. It says, they were all filled with awe and praised God. A great prophet has appeared among us, they said. God has come to help his people. It says this news about Jesus spread throughout Judea and the surrounding country. So this is great, right? The crowds are starting to sound like John did at the, begin the earlier chapters. Jesus is showing everyone who he is, and he's healing, and he's proclaiming his kingdom come. He, they're saying all the stuff that John has been saying all of his life, even as he was a baby in the womb, leaping when Mary walked in. The crowds are starting to talk like John, and then this is the very moment when John begins to doubt. And so it's an odd response. John calls two of them, and he sent them to the Lord to ask, are you the one who is to come, or should we expect someone else? What an odd response to the, the news that Jesus is healing and proclaiming the kingdom, and people are praising him as God, or they're praising God because of him. Why is this John's response? So there's a whole lot that we're not told here. So we don't get sort of John's inner life. We don't get his motives. But one thing is for sure, that Jesus isn't being the kind of Messiah that John expected. And there are a couple data points that help us maybe get into John's mind. First of all, he's in prison. Mark's gospel tells us that Herod is nursing a grudge against John. Maybe you know what that's like, to nurse a grudge. But he's looking for any excuse to, to kill him, and it's, it's growing. Herod's hatred for John is growing. And secondly, Herod is still on the throne. He's this puppet king who does whatever Rome tells him to do. If Jesus is here to be the Messiah, Herod has to go. And if, if John is going to survive, then Herod has to go quickly. You hear almost an urgency in John's voice. Are you the one or is there somebody else? Because things aren't going the way I expected them to go. So we can only imagine all that John is feeling in this moment. But I can tell you something that I know because I know my own heart. 
is that reports of God's work in others does not always increase our own faith. So God restores a marriage in one place and seems indifferent to another. God heals one ICU patient and another one dies. And when you're on the losing side of that, it can almost be impossible to see the miracle and worship God. And so, so I was thinking about this. Maybe you've heard about the question, um, why do we not see miracles today like they did in the Bible? One of the responses that I've given myself, and it does make sense, is that where the gospel is going into new areas, where it's experiencing opposition, where there is an openness to spirit, the spiritual dimension, in those places there are more miracles. So missionaries tell stories of, uh, of demons, demon possession being healed, of the sick being healed. There are even stories of the dead being raised in some of these, some of these places where the, the gospel is going forward. But if I'm speaking for myself... That only does a little to build my faith. It does a little, but only a little, because I think we have opposition here. The gospel's going into new territory here. Aren't we open to spiritual things? So hearing those stories makes me say, do it here, Jesus. Heal here and raise the dead here and change hearts with the gospel here. Fill me with the Holy Spirit Free me from addiction. Save my friends from crippling depression. So it's possible to hear God's good work in others and begin to experience resentment. And so I'm not saying that John felt these things, but I'm, I'm saying that I know enough about my own heart to not be surprised that we see John respond to this good news about what Jesus is doing with a question, a doubting question. So John's disciples ask Jesus if he's the one or if there's another they should be looking for. Let's read that, starting at verse 21. At that very time, Jesus cured many who had diseases, sickness, and evil spirits and gave sight to many who were blind. So he replied to the messengers, this is Jesus speaking to the messengers, go back and report to John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is proclaimed to the poor. And then he ends, blessed is anyone who does not stumble on account of me. So they ask, Jesus, are you the one who is to come? Are you the Messiah? Are you the one God promised to Adam? The one God promised to Abraham, to David? Are you the one that all the prophets told us was coming? Now, if we could just in unison church answer that question, is Jesus the one? Yes. That was good. The answer is yes. But why doesn't Jesus say yes? Go tell John yes. Jesus said, go tell John what you have seen and what you have heard. So Jesus, like every good prophet, has a message that he proclaims with his words and that he demonstrates with his actions. So Jesus says, my kingdom is here. And it's like a woman who lost a pearl. It's like a man who bought a field. But Jesus doesn't just talk. He shows the people what his kingdom is like by healing the sick, by casting out demons, by welcoming in the outcasts, by ultimately forgiving sins. 
So Jesus teaches, blessed are the poor, for they will inherit the kingdom. Then he heals the servant of a centurion who is spiritually poor and otherwise cut off from the people of God. He says, blessed are the poor, they shall inherit the kingdom. And then he heals the son of a widow, the only son of a widow who is left with no heirs, with no husband. And so a relationally and materially woman experiences the kingdom of God. So maybe you've heard this uh, thing that is supposed to have been said by St. Francis of Assisi, preach the gospel at all times and use words only when necessary. So I'm pretty sure a friend of mine in high school had this on a shirt. Have you guys heard this before? So since then, I've heard that uh, Francis didn't say it. Um, Either way, who said it or where it came from, we can ask the question, is this right? But what we see Jesus doing is combining words and actions. That there isn't conflict between what we say and what we do. So he doesn't simply say, yes, John's disciples, I'm the one. Maybe you heard that I raised the kid from the dead. Obviously, I'm the one. Go tell John. He says, look around and tell John what you see and what you hear. And what did they see and what did they hear? The kingdom of God, Jesus' kingdom rule, come in the here and now. And so may we, Christ the King, brothers and sisters, may we speak and act as those who will be judged by the law that brings freedom, as our brother James has said. Quick plug for the James Bible study, which starts this week, right? This week, Wednesday, see Cameron. I think you're supposed to register, but I don't think we'll bar someone from coming to study the Bible with us. This is a major message of James that our, we're, our faith and our deeds go together. And there's so much that I would like to say on this point, but in the past couple of weeks, we've learned that the Southern Baptist Convention covered up cases of sexual abuse. And so the leaders of our own denomination protected abusers and in some cases, Try to defame the abused. So men who preached the gospel on Sunday, standing in a place very much like this, behaved like children of Satan on Monday in a boardroom. And may Jesus forgive us. And may our words and actions show people what Jesus is like as the true king. So when people are confused and suffering and hurt because of the wickedness of sinful people, If we just respond with a cold truth, sort of coldly applied, yes, the doctrinally right truth is I am the Messiah, then we aren't following our Savior who said, look and see. See for yourself that the kingdom is here and among us. May we too say, look around and listen. And so I want to talk to you today if you have doubts. You may be not a Christian here. You may be a Christian and you're struggling with doubt Looking around in the world and the people who are leaving the faith, my guess is some of us are struggling with doubt today. And that, that's all right. I do too. I feel like doubt is kind of a part of the gig. But hang around a while and watch and listen. See if you see the kingdom of God among us in what we say and in what we do. Now what you will see if you stick around these people and watch and listen, is flawed people who will struggle and make mistakes. We will disappoint you. 
But I hope that you will see Christ's kingdom as well, not just in what we say, but in how we live. I pray that that would be compelling if we could all just begin to pray for a renewal in the church in the West because Christians begin to say and do the kingdom of God. So hear this uh, from John chapter 5. This is a bit more about why Jesus doesn't just say, yes, go tell John I'm the Messiah. In John 5, this is starting with verse 31, he says, if I testify about myself, my testimony is not true. There is another who testifies in my favor, and I know that his testimony about me is true. You have sent to John, and he testifies to the truth. Not that I accept human testimony, but I mention it that you may be saved. John was a lamp that burned and gave light, and you chose for a time to enjoy his light. I have a testimony weightier than that of John. For the works that the Father has given me to finish, the very works that I am doing testify that the Father has sent me. So Jesus is saying here, I could tell you the truth about myself. I could just say, I'm the one. I could tell you what the first sunrise looked like. Or I could tell you what Moses served during that dinner when we told him that Sarah was going to have a baby. But Jesus says, if I just testified about myself, it would be a lie. Others testify about Jesus, John for one. But more importantly, God the Father testifies that Jesus is his son. We saw it at his baptism. So I want to say something and make this a bit more plain. If, if, if as the church... As Christians, we respond to the doubts and questions and accusations of the world and of brothers and sisters as we struggle with doubt, with positions, statements of belief, however good and true and right those may be, then we testify to ourselves and we lose our brothers and sisters to the lies of the enemy. We have to tell a more compelling story and live a more compelling life. So we would do well to meditate on Jesus' response to John's disciples. Why did he say, look and see and go tell John what you've seen and heard? So the second thing that we see in this section that we're looking at is Jesus' sort of mixed message for John. He is communicating, yes, I am the one. My kingdom is here. It is coming in word and deed. But there's also this coded message for John. Sometimes in the Bible there are hidden coded messages. I'm mostly kidding because I just wonder how much you'd be like, are there? <laughs> if you take every third word. <laughs> so if you were with us a couple months ago, you may recognize these words of Jesus. So at the very beginning of Jesus' ministry, he stood up in the synagogue and he opened the scroll of Isaiah and he read from Isaiah 61. This is Jesus saying, I am on the scene to proclaim my kingdom come. And he said this. This is from uh, Luke 4, but he's quoting from Isaiah 61. The spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. So we see that what we're reading here is a parallel text, but there's a key difference between Luke 4 and Luke 7. Did anybody catch it? What part did Jesus leave out? Something maybe particularly interesting for John. Audience uh, uh, participation. Did anybody catch the part that Jesus left out? Jesus did not say to 
<laughs> Proclaim freedom for the captives. So the message to John is clear. Yes, I am the one who has come, and you're not getting out of prison. What a blow to John. Now maybe this last sentence makes a bit more sense when Jesus says, Blessed is anyone who does not stumble on account of me. Now Jesus is not always the king that we want, but Jesus is always the king who is and the king we need. Now we all have expectations of Jesus. Some of us want Jesus to be the warrior with a sword coming out of his mouth and his robe is dipped in blood and he's trampling on his enemies. Others want Jesus to be on his knees washing the feet of his disciples and coming to the defense of the sinful woman who's washing and kissing his feet. Some of us want Jesus to be a moral authority and others want a Jesus who feeds the hungry. So we want Jesus to be John Wayne or we want him to be FDR. But the good news, it is good news, is that we don't get the Jesus we want. Jesus doesn't change to meet John's expectations and he doesn't change to meet mine or yours. So he says, blessed is anyone who does not stumble on account of me. And this is, this is true for us today when Jesus isn't this one-dimensional Savior that you want him to be. And I don't know how this is going to hit any of us because we all have different expectations of Jesus, but it is where maybe the rubber meets the road. Is This is hard to say because this is true when Jesus fails to heal our broken world in the timing that we would like. So John is in prison. Some of you today may be suffering you want Jesus to be the kind of Savior who always throws open the prison doors like he did for Peter. And my goal today isn't to diminish your faith, but it's to, to build it, to build your faith in the Jesus that is. He was the right king for John who stayed in prison until he had his head removed and served on a plate to, to Herod. And he's the right king for Peter who had the prison doors flung open wide in front of him. And so however this hits you today, the message is that Jesus is the one who has come. Jesus is the one who fulfills all the promises God's made. You may be suffering today. Jesus is the one you are waiting for. You may have doubts today, but Jesus is the one you need. Jesus is the one. There is no other that we are looking for. And then, as we keep reading, when John's life, uh, disciples left... Jesus talked to the crowd about John. Picking up at verse 24, we read, What did you go out to the wilderness to see? A reed swayed by the wind? If not, what did you go out to see? A man dressed in fine clothes? No, those who wear expensive clothes and indulge in luxury are in palaces. But what did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet. This is the one about whom it is written, I will send my messenger ahead of you. You who will prepare your way before you. I tell you, among those born of women, there is no one greater than John, and yet the one who is least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. 
So in this passage, Jesus praises John, but there's also a coded criticism of Herod. I should write a book like the Bible Code or something. So the people didn't go out to see a reed swayed by the wind, and there's a face value meaning of that, that John was resolute in his convictions. He spoke the truth uh, with conviction. Unlike Herod, who was famously uh, a puppet of Rome, just did whatever Rome said, was established by Rome. But a reed was also a symbol of Herod's rule. So it was a picture that uh, Herod had printed on his coins. So maybe that by itself would not lead us to think of Herod initially, but then when we read about uh, those who live in luxury and palace and wear fine clothes, it's clear that Jesus is contrasting John and Herod. So Jesus is using John and Herod, this, this contrasting, to tell his people what his kingdom is like. He hasn't sort of shifted gears here. He's continuing on the same theme. The kingdom of Christ is more likely to come from a man who lives in the wilderness and eats bugs and honey than from a king in a palace wearing fine clothes and eating choice foods. And then finally, we're told that those who had been baptized by John was able to receive John's message. Those who were baptized by John were able to receive Jesus' message. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law did not believe Jesus because they hadn't been baptized by John. So those who had gone out to hear John's message, the message of repentance to be prepared, uh, were able to hear from Jesus. Now let's be reminded of what John taught. We studied this a few months ago, but I think it's worth reading again here. This is John, when the people come out to the wilderness to hear from him, John said to the crowds coming out to be baptized by him, you brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? I love it. I wish we should start like that every, every week. That should be our call to worship. <laughs> he goes on, produce fruit in keeping with repentance. And do not begin to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. For I tell you that of these stones, God can raise up children for Abraham. The axe is already at the root of the trees. And every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. What should we do then? The crowd asked. John answered, Anyone who has two shirts should share with one who has none, and anyone who has food should do the same. Even tax collectors came to be baptized. Teacher, they asked, what should we do? Don't collect any more than you're required to, he told them. Then some soldiers asked him, and what should we do? He replied, don't extort money and don't accuse people falsely. Be content with your pay. The people were waiting expectantly and were all wondering in their hearts if John might possibly be the Messiah. John answered them all, I baptize you with water, but one who is more powerful than I will come, the straps of whose sandals I'm not worthy to untie. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is, is in his hand to clear his threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his barn, and he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. With many other words, John exhorted the people and proclaimed the good news to them. So this is John's message. When no one else had seen Jesus, had said, there's the Lamb of God, John is proclaiming that the way, paving the way for Jesus, proclaiming the good news. John was certain, resolute in his conviction about Jesus. And now that others are beginning to see Jesus and believe him, it's this John who doubts. 
Now, the wonderful thing is that even as John doubts, we're told that it's because of his message and his baptism that some are able to believe in Jesus. Again, I don't know uh, what you sort of bring in here with you today, but there are some who have taught us the gospel who have gone away. There are some trusted leaders in the church who've been exposed as wicked hypocrites. And I think the message we can see here is that God can use the true words of anyone even when they doubt them themselves. I'm not saying that John left the faith. I'm saying John was in a moment of doubt, like we all find. But his, his work was still effective even when he was doubting. That is comforting uh, to me this morning. And finally, the last section is Jesus exposing the hypocrisy of those who are not believing, the uh, Pharisees and religious leaders. He says this, I don't think this will be on the screen, but to what shall I compare this generation? He says, they are like children sitting in the marketplace and calling out to each other, we played the pipe for you and you didn't dance, we sang a dirge and you did not cry. For John the Baptist came neither eating nor drinking wine and you say he has a demon. And the son of man came eating and drinking and you say, here is a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. But wisdom is proved right by all her children. So if you have children uh, here this morning, you, you know what this is about. Uh, I have three. Children, especially when they get together, have an endless capacity to make up games, <laughs> to change the rules mid-game, and then to get mad at you for not playing along with the rules. Can I get a witness? So John was too serious, too austere. Jesus is too much of a partier. John hung out with bugs, and Jesus hung out with tax collectors and sinners. And neither was acceptable to the religious, who were never going to hear Jesus' message in the first place, because they didn't care about right worship, they didn't care about holiness, they didn't care about the kingdom of God. What they care about again and again is justifying themselves. The very thing, by the way, that Jesus didn't do. So one night um, in the last week or so, I read the story of Job to my kids. And then afterwards, as we were praying, and I, um, my oldest son was leaning against me, and I could tell that he was crying. And so I, I took him to my room, and I asked him what was wrong, and he just said, that was a sad story. And so we've been reading, and it's the biggest story Bible, I think. Kevin DeYoung Bible. And it splits Job into two parts. So he didn't hear any of this, the parts about the God restoring things to Job. <laughs> so in that moment, I, I had a choice to make. So do I tell my son, things aren't that bad? Don't worry, because Job is just an extreme case to illustrate a point about suffering and God's goodness. That won't happen to us or to anyone we know or love. Uh, especially because we trust God, so things will work out. So that is tempting to say when you're looking at an eight-year-old boy. It's tempting to say, don't worry, things aren't so bad. It may be comforting, but it's a lie. So the faithful in Christ get cancer, get fired, 
Christian brothers and sisters right now have had to flee their homes because of war and leave everything. Christians are killed by madmen with guns. Like Job, there have been Christians who felt like everything they had was taken from them. And so we can't change the message to suit us. We can't change Jesus to be the one who just makes all of our dreams come true. Because that's not who he is. Not yet, anyway. And so, as I was talking to my son, I, I talked to him about Jim Elliott. And he has a book, uh, a book of great men of the Christian faith. And um, don't worry, Tim Tebow is in the book. <laughs> he, did, he did make the cut. So I talked to him about Jim Elliott, who was a missionary uh, in Ecuador. He desired to go to an unreached tribe, a people that had not been reached by any missionaries, had never heard the gospel. And when he made contact with his tribe in Ecuador, he and four others were murdered. He spent years preparing to go in, developing a strategy, learning the language and culture, trying to establish with a plane and some, some messages from plane, trying to establish some goodwill with them. And he was murdered. He didn't get to see the fruit of his work among the tribe, but his wife continued with the tribe. The wife and children of his pilot continued to work with the tribe and led many of them to Christ. So like John the Baptist, Jim Elliot prepared the way for the work of others, but he himself died before he saw the thing that he desired. So the message that we have for our children and for ourselves is not that things aren't that bad. It's the message of the world. Don't worry, you'll live forever. You can be infinite. It's not that Jesus will make our dreams come true, though, yes, in heaven we will be truly fulfilled. It's not that the gospel will fix all of your problems or solve all of society's ills. That's just not true. It's a comforting lie. But what we do have is a God who is trustworthy when we're imprisoned, when we suffer. When the church looks so much like the world, or even worse at times, when our friends leave the faith and turn on us, we have a God who is trustworthy. So I'm not saying just hang on, just cling to something and hang on because one day in heaven, everything will be okay. You can pretty much expect your life to suck until then, but at least one day when you die, <laughs> that's not the message that I have for us today. So Jesus said to John's disciples, look and see. Look at wisdom's children among us testifying to the kingdom. Listen, hear. John's question is, are you the Messiah? And Jesus can say, look and listen, because Jesus' ministry was all about peeling back this veil that separates heaven and earth. He's saying, these things that you see is my kingdom. This is my heavenly rule, where there are no sick, there are no demon-possessed, there is no death. And so as he peels back that veil, there is healing and restoration. There is freedom. And he says, listen 
to the good news that is proclaimed to the poor. Because when my kingdom is here, when I peel back this veil between heaven and earth, there are no distinctions based on wealth or status. Kings in palaces wearing fine clothes and sipping the choicest wine are not things of my kingdom. And just as Jesus attested to his kingdom by saying, look and listen, may we also say to those who have doubts, look and listen. And as we think about coming to the communion table today, we align at this table our confession and our lives. We say that Jesus is Lord, and we acknowledge that we come empty-handed to this table. So the richest among us, we could do the math. I bet David Borson knows. (laughs) He knows all the numbers. The richest among us, the most powerful among us, we could have an arm wrestling competition maybe before the member meeting. The smartest ones among us all embrace what Paul calls the foolishness of the cross. When we come to this table, we come with empty hands and we, found, we find them filled with grace and the love of Christ. And those who come crawling with their broken lives in their hands, those who are ashamed of their sins, those who don't know how they're going to pay their bills, those who are addicted and anxious and depressed and bored and frustrated will have their heads lifted by Christ to see that all that they need is at this table in Christ's broken body and his shed blood. May they and may all of us see that at this table we have a family who will give away time and money and love, who will lay down their pretension, comparison, to embrace a fellow son or daughter of God. And I, I say this this morning as our aspiration now, it's, true, it's too easy, and I'm sure we're all tempted to look around and see that that is not true. We can join those that look at the church and say it's just full of hypocrites, and we can join those who say that Jesus isn't the one who has come, but we should look for another. But here's, here's my only message today. There is no other. There is no other we should be waiting for. Now, there are all kinds of ways that we may be tempted to say, Jesus isn't really doing it for me right now, so I'm going to look for another. But I want to tell you that there is no president in the White House, no guru with a new life hack or self-care technique, no husband or wife or child, no pastor. There is only one who has been appointed the king of kings. So whatever, whatever you're facing today, whatever you will face tomorrow, let's remember that John doesn't know it yet, but he will be beheaded. Whatever you will face, Jesus is the one who will come. There was no other for John. There is no other for us. So may it may be true among us that we know that Jesus isn't coming to fix our problems and, and establish his rule here and now to its fullest extent. And nonetheless, may it be true that 
we can say that as we come to this table and as that we live together in unity as brothers and sisters, that we have a little taste of heaven, that we can say, look and see what the kingdom of Christ is like. We can say, listen to the words of heaven as we pro- proclaim the gospel, especially to those who are poor, who come just broken and crippled and empty-handed. We can say with the psalmist, taste and see that the Lord is good. Amen? And yes, we have doctrine for you. Yes, we have convictions and confessions. They sustain us even, as we saw in the liturgy, through difficult times. But the message is not here is the thing to believe, but to see and taste for yourself. Come into this community where we want to live as citizens of Christ's ultimate rule. And that is much better news than any false gospel or comforting lie that the world can give us. Praise God for that. Let's pray. Jesus, you are the one we are looking for. You are the one who God promised to Adam and Eve, the seed of the woman. You are the one who has promised to Abraham that through his descendants, all the earth would be blessed. You are the one who has promised to David, the one, his descendant, whose rule would be established forever. You are the one whose throne is built on, the foundation of your throne is justice and righteousness. Jesus, I do confess that it is a difficult time that brothers and sisters have abandoned the faith. Those who walked alongside us have walked away and that some of those have turned and started attacking. I confess that as we look at the world and it feels like things are spiraling out of control, it is tempting to say, is Jesus the one we need? And I ask for all of us, Lord, for all of us who have faith in you, may we plant our flag as deeper and deeper. May, like the tree of Psalm 1, its roots go deep because it is planted by a stream of water. May we say resolutely, Jesus is the one we need and there is no other that we are looking for. Forgive us for the subtle and, and, and uh, maybe even unseen ways that we turn our hearts to others where we begin to place our hope in, in worldly men as the, the psalmist says that, that there is no hope in the princes and the sons of men, but may we not hope there. May we not hope in any outcome or even as we see the economy, it, it is beginning to affect many of us that things are more difficult and we, we ask how far can it go and we, we, we're tempted to say we need something else. Jesus isn't working. May we repent of all those false ways of thinking and to say that you are the one we need. And that as we come to the table, may we know that you are the one we need because you didn't testify to yourself, but you submitted to death on a cross. The Father testified to who you are and has exalted you above all of your enemies. All of your enemies, which are also our enemies, are under your feet and will ultimately become your footstool that you have your foot on the neck of death and sin and Satan, that your victory is our victory, and may we come to the table in victory knowing that you have given us what we need, that you are the hope that we need for tomorrow, that you will sustain us till the end, build our hope with this message that you gave to John. John didn't get an easy message, he got a difficult message, and yet you told him you were the Messiah. I believe he could rest knowing that you had come 
that your kingdom would be established and that that throne of David would never be uh, conquered. Thank you, Jesus, for all these wonderful truths that we know in part. I pray that you would grow them in our hearts and our minds, that we would become more and more in love with your kingdom, which is here now and which is coming. Thank you, Lord, for all these, these wonderful things, and I pray them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. We are Christ the King Church. For more information about our church, please visit us at ctkcincy.com.